We are in our second session here, or second lesson on, second of six lessons on Baptist essentials, what the church, what the Bible teaches about what a church is and how a church should be organized. Let's pray and then we will jump in. Father, we thank you for a chance to study your word again and to think about the church, to think about what your word teaches about the church. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom. It's exciting, Lord, to study your word and to think about how to apply it, especially when we talk about the church or really anything, just because it has immediate application. Thinking about missions this morning and then giving to the Lottie Moon offering. Thinking about what a church is and what church membership is and then applying it in our church. We thank you for this opportunity not only to learn, to fill our heads, but to change our feet in our direction and our hands in terms of how we do what we do to make sure we're lining up with your word. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom in this time. We pray that you'd bless our discussion and help us to love Jesus more as we see your wisdom in the way you designed how we should organize our lives with our church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you are here last week, we talked about defining what a church is. Do you remember that? Does anyone remember the definition of the church? It's okay if you don't. It was a long one. But how do we define a church last week? It's a group of Christians who regularly gather to officially what? Well, they unite. They regularly gather. Well, oh, that's my definition. They, but they affirm. They officially affirm and guard one another's membership in Jesus Christ and the kingdom through baptism and or through the ordinances, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper. So that's what we talked about last week. And we said, before you talk about how to do church or what should the church be doing or what should the church not be doing, you have to first define what it is. Because if you don't know what it is, you could be really stabbing in the dark in terms of what you should do. And so we spent a whole session last week talking about what is the church. And then we talked about how the church is made in the image of God. Remember, we said Adam was in the image of God. Yet he failed. Israel was the son of God and they failed. Then Christ came and was the son of God who did not fail. And then the church are the people who are in Christ. And now we are the body of Christ, imaging him in the world until Christ comes again. And so we talked about how we are the display of God's glory in Bellflower today. One of many, hopefully. Any true church is the display of God's glory as the body of Christ. So now we are in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, at least just to start, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew tonight. But there, I, I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 5, actually I hope you're there in your Bible, verse 1 says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. I want you to notice those words. Removed from among you. Go to verse 4. When, and that's here on your notes now too. Verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my spirit is present, Paul says. With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to do what? Deliver this man or turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Because you want to destroy the person? No. So that what? His spirit may be? Saved. You want salvation. His spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And then verse 6, it's not there in your notes, but verse 6 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And then verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Unleavened bread is part of the, sac the, the feast of unleavened bread is right before the Passover celebration in Exodus. Leaven was supposed to be something that was supposed to be cleared from your houses during the feast of Passover because a little leaven was to be unholy during that week. And the image there is in the church, don't let sin, unrepentant sin, leaven itself or, you know, leaven the whole lump in the church because that's not what's supposed to be done. You're supposed to remove this person. So... We ask the question, what's going on here? Clearly a man is sleeping with his dad's wife, and the congregation is tolerating it. Paul says to remove him, hand him over to Satan, not for the goal of his ultimate destruction, but restoration. Now here's the key focus or key question for tonight. Remove him from what? The assembly is a guess? 
from membership, okay? Yeah, and that's, that's really what we're getting at is membership. Because some people will say, well, there's no church membership in the Bible. It says, remove him from among you, among you all. Or a good southern translation would be among y'all, right? Remove him from among y'all. And that really, in our English, you could be singular or plural. In a lot of other languages, we actually have a plural form of y'all. And so it's, it's plural in the Greek. Remove him from among y'all. So the question is, well, who's the y'all? And like our brother Jim said, the membership. And that's right. We, it bumps us right into church membership. And we're not going to spend a, a sustained argument for church membership. We'll spend our last few minutes looking at that. I want to go a little bit deeper than church membership to Matthew chapter 16. This undergirds church membership. So turn to Matthew 16. And as you see there in your notes, we're going to talk about how the church represents heaven. Matthew chapter 16. Now, um, as you're turning there, we're going to begin in verse 15. But in verses 1 through 12, Jesus just warns the apostles not to trust the teaching of Israel's leaders. The Pharisees, they were self-righteous and they missed Jesus. They were self-reliant and so that blinded them from seeing who Jesus really was. And there were all kinds of opinions. Who is Jesus? He's Elijah. He's one of the prophets. Some say he's Jeremiah. And then in verse 15, Jesus asked the disciples, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds in verse 16, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, who I am. But my father in heaven. So God gave Peter the insight to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then listen to what Jesus says next in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. This is a very important passage. So I want you to see that this is the first time and maybe the only time, well, no, this and Matthew 18, where Jesus himself talks about the church before he ascends to heaven. Okay? So this is very important to understand what the church is. And he connects the church in verse 18, upon this rock I will build my church with verse 19 where he says to Peter, I'm giving you to you, Peter, the what? Keys of the kingdom. So you have the keys of the kingdom in verse 19. You have the church in verse 18, and there's a connection between these two. Last week, we said that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing or under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So what's the connection question? What's the connection between the keys of the kingdom, verse 19, and the church in verse 18? Answer is this. The church is meant to display on earth, in Bellflower, the church is meant to display on earth who is and who isn't in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? The church is displaying the who. Who's in the kingdom? Who's not in the kingdom? How do you know who's in the kingdom? The church is the display of who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom. Specifically, when Jesus talks to Peter, he's interested in not only the who, that's part of it, but also the what. Who is in the kingdom and what is the right confession? Or to put it another way, what is the right confession? Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Whatever you confess, what's the right confession of who Jesus is? Secondly, who is a right confessor? Who is actually confessing Jesus rightly as part of the kingdom? Those are the, the what is confessed and who is confessing the what and the who is what Jesus is after here. Okay. So Jesus exercises authority towards Peter, but then goes one step further. Not only is Jesus in authority as King, he gives Peter and the apostles the keys of the kingdom, the authority to stand in front of a confessor. Peter has the authority to stand right in front of someone who says, I'm a Christian or I follow Jesus. He has the authority to stand right in front of a confessor to hear his confession and say, and to announce an official judgment on heaven's behalf. Whatever you bind on earth has already been what? Bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been 
loosed in heaven. And so Peter has the authority to give an official judgment on heaven's behalf. This is a right confession. This is a wrong confession. Or this is a true confessor. This is a false confessor. This is or isn't a true confessor. Okay? So, I'll give you a chance for questions before we get to Matthew 18. I want to make sure you get this. Whoever is holding the keys of the kingdom has heaven's authority. Keys are authorization. Right? When I started at this church as pastor, one of the first things I was handed were keys. Keys to the building. Right? And then, but we don't give keys to just everyone, every new member who joins, and we give them the right hand of fellowship and a hand, set of the keys, right? No, the keys imply authorization, right? Authority and access to lock and unlock. And so here, the keys of the kingdom are Jesus giving the authority not to make someone a Christian, but to declare who is a Christian. And you know how we do that? Through baptism and the Lord's Supper. See, now we're getting into the ordinances. This is basic church church life. How do you declare who is a Christian? Through baptism and the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 16, the apostles are said to hold the keys. Now, before we go to Matthew 18, any questions or comments from you, brothers or sisters? Thoughts, comments, questions? Barbara? Sure. No, yeah, there's a little bit of overlap in your two categories. Once you start saying if someone's truly repentant or truly not repentant, that is saying whether they're truly saved or not. Right. I'm saying, is it just on that, or is it saying this person has salvation? Period. It is saying that this person has salvation. Um, let me let me give you one more passage that might clarify it, or it might muddy the waters. Hopefully, it does the clarification. John 20. Look at John chapter. Now, keep your finger in Matthew 18. We're sticking. We're going to stick in Matthew, but turn to John 20 just briefly. So John 20 does the same thing, I think, but doesn't use the keys language. It doesn't use the keys imagery. It just kind of says what it is. So in Matthew 20, verse 20, 21, Jesus says to the disciples, Matthew 20, chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. What? I also send you. So there's the commission. Verse 22, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is sending them. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And then verse 23 is the parallel to Matthew 16. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are what? Forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now that's not saying Peter and the apostles have the authority to just forgive arbitrarily. I don't like you, so I'm not forgiving you. I like you. And as if they could play favorites. What they do as apostles is they're sent by Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit. So they have to follow the Holy Spirit's word, the Bible, in declaring who's forgiven or not. So if I talk to someone, if I'm an apostle and they say, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe that I'm good enough on my own. Then I would say, you are not forgiven of your sins. Not because I have any authority in myself. It's just to say, you're rejecting the gospel, so therefore you're still in your sins. Here's someone who believes the gospel, repents, trusts in Christ. You are forgiven. Okay, so, go ahead. Okay, we use the term, we don't know if someone's forgiven, only God knows their heart. But evidently, Peter had the authorization to know their hearts. Not to know their hearts, to know the outside confession. So, yes, we can't read their hearts, but we have to be careful with that to not make that say we can't do what God wants us to do. So, again, Peter's not, Peter's not tasked with reading the heart. He's asking people, or just like Jesus isn't even reading Peter's heart. And saying, when he says, who do you say that I am, what did, what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus heard the confession and then made a judgment. So we're not called to read people's hearts. We are called to see their confession and see their life. We can't read the inside, but we're not supposed to stick our heads in the sand about the outside. When they speak, when they act, when they live, we are supposed to interact with that. Okay. Okay, any other comments or questions? Jim? You said it was given to Peter and the apostles. Yes. Well, we have that same benefit, if you like, that same responsibility today. 
maybe, and that's our next passage. You're, you're segueing right into our next, next, so let's just go right into Matthew 18. Okay, so go to Matthew 18, and I think when you see it, um, yeah, I think you're intuiting the right conclusion, but let's look at it from the Bible. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. Matthew 18, 15 to 18. If you're following with your notes, we're now on the inside of your notes, in case you're, you're following with the handout. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him in private. Don't gossip. Don't tell another person. Go to him directly. Her to, go to her directly. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you. So that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. Now, we're going to think about church discipline next week. So we're not focusing on that this week. But look at verse 18, though. Okay, He just told, tell it to the what in verse 17? Tell it to the church. Now listen to verse 18. I assure y'all. Now, this is the plural y'all. Okay, I assure y'all. Whatever y'all bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever y'all loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you, if you, if two of y'all on earth agree about any matter that y'all pray for, it will be done for you but my, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Okay, so here you have binding and loosing in verse 18, right? Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. But this is not the apostles now. It's the church from verse 17. You see the connection here. Okay, and that's basically what Jim was saying. It's, it was given to Peter and the apostles, but it's also given to the church. And now the church is going to be doing the binding and the loosing. Not a pastor. It's not tell the pastor. The pastors don't hold the keys. Okay, not a pastor, not a committee, not a committee of pastors, not a session as um, some other denomination, not a presbytery, a group of elders, but the church. The final court of appeal is the church, the whole church, the whole assembly. Now, this is what makes us Baptist and not Presbyterian and all kinds of other denominations at this point, because we insist, this is what congregationalism is, that the whole church has this authority to exercise the keys. And pastors don't exercise the keys on their own authority. What's the job of the pastor? The job of the pastor is to equip the church so that the church does their job. So I teach the word so that the church can do their job. But I can't say, you're doing it all wrong, let me do it for you. No, no. It says very clearly here, the church is the one exercising the keys. Okay? All of us, all the members, exercise the keys. Okay? So the local church has heaven's authority. Look around here. Think about us on a Sunday morning. You might say, this doesn't look super special. This is very special. The local church has heaven's authority on earth to guard the what and the who of the gospel. Who and what represents heaven? Who who and what on earth represents heaven? It holds the keys. And what do keys do? Keys unlock and keys lock doors. Or we could say they bind and they loose. So Jesus has authorized the local church to stand right in front of a confessor, to consider the confessor's confession, to consider his or her life, and to announce an official judgment on heaven's behalf. Is that a right confession? Yes or no. Is this a true confessor? Yes or no. Just like Jesus did with Peter. Okay, the church. That's why I told, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The most important decisions we will make as a church in our business meetings is who we take into membership and who we see out. That's the keys. So we had Erwin and Janice here, you know, Connie and Carrie are, 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 are planning on, you know, probably joining our church if the Lord leads. There's another couple that might be doing that before the year ends. That doesn't mean that just because they want to join doesn't mean they get to join. We have a responsibility as a church to exercise the keys, which is why I meet with them first to find out their story. And then I bring to the church because I'm not the final, I'm not the key holder, the church is. So when we come up here on a Sunday or whenever we'll do it, I just say to the church, here's so-and-so's testimony. Here's Irwin's testimony. He lived a life like this and then God saved him and you see this drastic change. He knows the gospel. He loves Jesus. As a pastor, I recommend that we take him into membership, but I don't exercise the keys by myself. The church has to make that decision to exercise the keys 
together. That is exer- that's Matthew 18 and Matthew 16 being in, in real life action. That's a, that's a declaration from, on earth, from heaven, about a person's life and faith. As best we can tell, going back to Barbara's comment earlier. Not that we can read their hearts. You can take someone into membership who's not a true Christian. You can reject someone who is a true Christian. We can't be perfect enough, but we're still responsible to do our best to be as biblically accurate and, um, and consistent as possible. Okay, any questions on this before we move to how we're going to exercise it through baptism and the Lord's Supper? Question on the church exercising the keys. I hope you feel a little bit of the weight of what the business of the church is. It's not, it's not primarily the other things that are somewhat important. This is by far more important. Okay, well let's move on to the keys exercised through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we are going to go into these two ordinances deeper in a few weeks. So we're not going really deep now, but let's just touch on it here. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's right there in your notes. You could also look in your Bible. Matthew, um, so wait, before we get there, we bind and loose according to Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in Christ's name. He's there. When we take a member in, Jesus is there. If we have to excommunicate, Jesus is there. We are with Christ. His presence is with us as we go. So what does it mean to be gathered in Jesus' name? Jesus is talking here about uh, the place where you exercise baptism. Matthew 28, 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now he's given the responsibility and the keys, go and make disciples. And what do you do when you make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The church, because it has the authority of the keys, has the authority to baptize. So if you share the gospel with your friend, don't take them to the back of, back of your pool and baptize them by yourself. And just be like, well, I baptized them. No, 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 no. That, you're not the church. Right? Yes, share the gospel. Praise God that they're believing in Christ. Come, you know, bring them to this church or a church that is that embassy and have them exercise the keys. Now, what is baptism? Baptism is a symbol of a spiritual reality. Right? It, it, it symbolizes our union with Christ. When you go down, it symbolizes our what? Death. Our death, right? And then our burial with Christ. And then when we come out of the water, it symbolizes our resurrection with Christ. We have died with Jesus and we have risen with Jesus. But baptism not only symbolizes our union with Christ, it is the Christian's way of associating himself with God's people too. It's primarily vertical. What does it mean for you and God? But it's also horizontal. When you get baptized, you are being immersed into the family of God. Not, it's symbolizing your immersion with the family. Once you get saved, you're, you're part of the family of God. But it's symbolizing your immersion into the family of God. So baptism is a door, so to speak. And how many times should you get baptized? Just once, right? There's only one true baptism. It's when you are saved. We're Baptists here. We're not paedo-baptists, so we don't baptize babies. Once you believe in the gospel and then you get baptized, that is true biblical baptism. Not baptism before conversion, but baptism following conversion is true baptism. And you only get baptized one time. Now, that's baptism. How often do you do the Lord's Supper? Just one time? No, regularly. The church, and I would argue the early church did the Lord's Supper every week, but the, 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 even whether you do it every week or every month or every three months, the church does it regularly. And a Christian participates in the Lord's Supper regularly, not just one time. Okay, And in these gospel displays, what are we doing every time? We are drawing a boundary. We're drawing boundary lines of who's in and who's out. Remember Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5? When someone claims the name of Christ but refuses to repent and let go of their sin, their claim to be a Christian loses credibility and the church is called to remove their affirmation of being a Christian and to excommunion them, excommunicate them, to bar them from the Lord's Supper. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is the drawing line. Who's a Christian? Those who've been baptized and those who take the Lord's Supper. Which is why you'll hear me say from the front, I don't just say it for tradition, I'm saying it for biblical reasons. If you have been baptized and you're a member of a church that hears the same, that preaches the same gospel you hear preached here, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. But not everyone is welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. Those who've been baptized and are part of a church that has authorized them in a sense, officially affirmed them as a believer. Okay? Now this can be tough, but it's important 
that the church follows scripture because the church is called to represent the image of God. That's what we talked about last week. Just like Adam and Israel and Jesus, we are called to represent God's image. And so we need to be consistent with who we affirm and who we don't affirm in terms of the who and the what. If you're curious, well, PJ, what's the what? You're not talking about the what. For our what, it's the Baptist faith and message, our statement of faith. You want to know what we believe about our doctrine, about the what a Christian should believe, like the Trinity, the deity and humanity of Christ, salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, by not, not by works. All of that is in our statement of faith. We're saying this is a confession. This is the what, our statement of faith. These people here are the who, who confess that what, okay, and live according to that what. So baptism and the Lord's Supper are the oath signs, the covenant signs by which we take oaths with one another. That's what a church covenant is, really. It's us saying we promise together to guard each other's discipleship in Jesus Christ. It's through baptism and the Lord's Supper that we as individual Christians work together to constitute a local church and its members. And Jesus authorizes Christians to do this by giving us the keys. Remember, not one of us, not you and not me, can exercise it on our own. We do it together as a church. So let's review here at the bottom of your page here. What is a local church? You have the definition there again. Let me review that definition with you. And maybe it'll be a little bit clearer now. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to do what? To officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Notice the word officially there. Does that word officially make more sense now that we talked about the keys? Officially here, it's official because the church has been given the keys. And so when we exercise the keys, we are making an official declaration. If someone came up to me and said, PJ, do you think I'm a Christian? I could think you're a Christian. I could think you're not a Christian. Who, who is PJ anyways? It doesn't really matter what I think. If you thought I was a Christian, you thought I wasn't a Christian, in one sense, it wouldn't matter individually. Now, if First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower thought I wasn't a Christian and therefore excommunicated me, that would be a big deal to me. That would mean something to me. And that would scare me and make me examine my life. What am I doing that I'm not repenting of? So, so this exercise of the key, this official affirmation or denial of affirmation is a church thing, not an individual or subcommittee. It's a gathering and we are affirming and guarding each other's discipleship and membership. That's what we're doing with the keys. Okay, before I move on to who, last, last page here on this side, who is church membership for? Any questions? Question, comment, thought. It's okay. If, if, I'm, if I'm unclear, that's okay. Help me out here to help you. Question, comment, or thought. Okay, well, let's go on to the next part then. Who is church membership for? Here's the key question. What is the biblical criteria for getting in? If you're going to be a member or if you're going to be part of a church, what, how, what do you need to do to get in or fit in, especially if this is a matter of eternity? Is it like a country club where you need to know the right people and have connections with the leaders or drive the right car? Is it like the military where you need to be able to do a certain number of push-ups and pull-ups to be part of the church? To answer that, let's just look right here at the verses right here on your handout in Matthew to give us an idea of what is a heavenly citizen or what is a member of a church. Who is a member of a church? Look at Matthew 5.3 right there. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to be broke. You've got to have no spiritual cachet on your own. Secondly, Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That doesn't mean you earn your salvation, but a true Christian obeys God. Not perfectly, but actually. Not Again, not perfectly, but, but, but growing in it, right? Matthew 10.32, next one on your notes. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So a Christian is someone who is not secretive about it. There's no undercover Christians. Right? If you're a Christian, you are outspokenly bold about it. And then Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So someone who humbles himself, someone who's poor in spirit, 
someone who follows God's will, someone who acknowledges Christ publicly and, and receives the kingdom like a little child. Do you see a pattern here? Christianity, and therefore church membership, is not for the strong. It's not for those who have their act together and who are determined to follow their own wills to do it their own way. It's for those who've tried and tried and yet fail. That's who the church is for. It's for the teenagers who had certain moral ideals, but then they went off to college and fell into sin. It's for the mothers who have tried really hard to be perfect moms, and they've disappointed their own standards. It's for the retirees who have reached the end of their careers and look back and realized, it was all about me and my selfish ambitions, and now what do I have? It's for those people. It's for those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity... And therefore, church membership is for people who have reached an end of themselves and don't trust themselves. Or to use Matthew 9, 12's language, Jesus said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what do you need to be to be part of this group? You just need to be a sinner who admits you're a sinner and reaches out to the doctor for help. That's what repentance and faith is. You don't have to memorize 30 Bible verses first. You don't have to book, have the books of the Bible in order. You don't have to pass a doctrinal test, so to speak. You just need to know you're a sinner and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn from your own sin. It's for the morally broken. It's for the person who knows they're a sinner, they hate that fact, and they keep repenting and turning from their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of Christianity, right? This is the gospel. We are created to do good. We've done bad in our lives. Christ lived and did good for us. He lived a perfect, meek, gentle life, obeying God. He died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead. And now he calls everyone who is poor in spirit, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, to turn away from their sin and follow him as Savior and King. That's the gospel. And that's what you need to believe in and receive to be a member of a church. That's who the kingdom is for. Okay, that's who gets the keys. I mean, not just individually, but that's you get to be part of the group who exercises the keys as a group. Okay, last thing here is membership throughout the New Testament. You see there's a triangle here. Someone might say, okay, PJ, I get it. There's keys to the kingdom. There's unlocking and locking, but I still have questions about membership. Where in the Bible does it say that you have to be a member of a church? One helpful way to answer that question is to keep this in mind. How does the Bible call Christians to relate to one another within the local church? So you see this triangle here? You have all these verses here. Let me just start here at the bottom with Romans 12. This is between you and the rest of the members of our church. What are you supposed to do? Romans 15.1, it says, bear with the failings of the weak. What should you do with other members of the church? Bear with their failings. Romans 12.13, and then 15 and 16 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. How should you live with other members? Love one another. Okay, that's the first category is love one another. This next one, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 there at the bottom. Consider how to stir each other up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So there's another thing. Encourage each other. The next one here, 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18, the church discipline. Guard one another. Guard each other from sin. Guard each other with repentance and restoration. That is your responsibility to every other member of this church. And that is their responsibility to you. That's the accountability. Now, if you go to the right here, or the left, you see Hebrews 13, 17? It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. What are the biblical leaders in the Bible? What are the categories for biblical leaders in the New Testament? Don't say priest, prophet, and king. That's Old Testament. I'm talking about New Covenant. What are the New Covenant leaders in the New Testament for the people of God? Overseers. Deacons, bishop, bishop and overseer is the same word, just different translation. Elder and, what, what's the word we use all the time in our culture today? Pastor, right? Pa pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, those are all the same one title, okay? 
So you can call, if I'm the, you know, as a pastor, you can call me bishop. You can call me, don't call me that though. You can call me overseer. You can call me elder. You can call me pastor. Those are all in the Bible, the same title, the same office. Then you have deacon. Those are the two biblical offices of leaders. And so here, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's probably leaning more towards overseers because they're giving an account. They watch over your souls. Okay, so if you see that in the triangle there, that they're watching over your souls, I want you to see that with the verses I just told you, you have to have church membership. Why do I have to have church membership? Let me ask you four questions, and you'll see that you need to have church membership. So it says here that you need to love one another in the church. Here's the first question. Which church? Is it the universal church, or is it a specific local church? And then Hebrews 13 says, submit to your elders, to your leaders. Here's the question. Which leaders? Are you to submit to every leader of every local church? Obey and submit to your leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Does that mean you and I have to submit to every leader of every local church? Yes or no? No. Every church, What about every Southern Baptist church in the convention? No. It's your own local church. Okay? That's Hebrews 13, 17. So which, which church should you love? Which elders should you submit to? And then it says that the elders keep watch over their souls. Which souls? This is important for me as a pastor. Which souls am I, am I supposed to oversee? So which, which souls? And then the fourth question is, if there's unrepentant sin, you're supposed to remove them from among y'all. Question, which Christians are you supposed to hold accountable like that? Anyone from any church? Calvary Baptist Church? Calvary Chapel? Bethel Grace Baptist Church, First Presbyterian Church. Are you supposed to do that with all of them to remove them? No. My point here is, with these verses, it's assuming that you need to be part of a local church. And that's what church membership is. So if I could close with this definition of church membership, here's what church membership is. Church membership is a mutually understood commitment to one another. Okay, did you get that? It is a mutually understood commitment to one another. If I don't, if you're not self-conscious that you're committed, then there's a breakdown in communication there. It's a mutually understood commitment to one another. And that's what our membership list is. When you take in a new member up here, we understand as a church, we're committed to them, right? And what are they understanding? They're understanding that if we say yes to take them into membership, they are now responsible for who? For us. That's a mutually understood commitment. That's what church membership is. That's what the New Testament demands if we are going to be a faithful biblical Baptist church. Okay? Those are all the, the that's I mean that's what I have. Any thoughts, questions from you or I have questions for you if you don't have questions for me. Barbara. Microphone. It's not on Brandon. Okay, so when Paul wrote to the, the church at Ephesus, Corinth, was it a church building or a group of Christians? It was a group of Christians. Yeah, there were no church buildings back then. That would have been very, very odd. It would have just been, most churches met in people's houses. Yeah, so it was a group of Christians in a city that got together as a church. Okay, good question. Other thoughts, comments, or it doesn't have to be a question, it could be a thought or comment. Steve, over here. We got time for two or three more. Okay, here comes the microphone, brother. Are the family of God and the local church the same? Are the family of God and the local church the same? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the church, the local church, is the family of God. No, in the sense that the local church is not the universal church. So. We are not claiming that the local church is the universal church. The universal church is all Christians everywhere from all time. Okay, We talked about that last week. That would be the family of God in one sense. Is the local church also the family of God? Absolutely. We are the family of God. So yes and no. You want to follow up? So then you can be part of the universal church, but not the local church. Is that what you're saying? Can you be part of one and not the other? 
Yes, it is possible. possible. Yes. Is it obedient to scripture? No. Is it obedient to scripture? No. Yeah. But but a Christian can be disobedient. I mean, we're all we all disobey all the time, and that's why we keep learning and teaching each other to obey everything Christ commanded. That's what Matthew twenty eight twenty demands. But yeah, it is possible. Jerry, Brandon. To be, in the fact, to be God, in God's family. You have to be. Song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Right. Right. You don't have to be a member of a church to be that because you can be saved on your deathbed and be the. Absolutely. In the family of God. Right. And so it depends what you mean. If you mean, do you have to be part of the universal church to be part of the local church? No. And that's my. That was the same thing I told Steve. Was you it's possible. You don't have to to be saved, but you have to to be obedient to God. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so, if someone's on their deathbed, obviously they're on their deathbed. But if someone else is not on their deathbed, yes, yes. And of course, that's an extreme situation. And yes, I would, I would say you're right on that point. If someone though was not on their deathbed and they just refused to join a local church, I would not, I would not affirm their, their salvation. I mean, it wouldn't matter what I affirm personally anyways, but I wouldn't encourage them that that's okay. Sure, and, though, and that's, why that's, that's why we have missionaries, right? But yeah, sure. Yes, and if they're in those remote places, they will start to plant churches or share the gospel, and then eventually they'll want to obey everything Christ commanded. Ken. Where two, two more are gathered in my name. Is that the local church? Not, not in and of itself, right? If, if Jim and I, so Jim, Al, and I will probably be together at breakfast tomorrow, the three of us. We are not, the three of us are not the local church. We are not First Southern Baptist Church. We're not, we can't exercise the keys among the three of us. So no, not in that sense. We're not the, we are, I mean, we are part of the church. We are First Southern Baptist Church, but we are not the whole church, the three of us. Then how many, how many people make up the church? All the, all the members of the church make up the church. So if you only had two members... The yes, yeah if, yeah. if you only had two members of the church and you're trying to obey this and, hey, we're going to obey all of the New Testament, yeah, absolutely. So if, you, if you're starting a new church plan and it's you and your wife... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to go to Jerry's point there, yeah, if you're in a remote place and there is no church, you share the gospel with one, you have three people... You can be a church, absolutely. And you should be. If you're going to obey the New Testament, you need to be part of a local church. Not to be saved, but to be obedient and grow and to do what? To exercise the keys, among other things. Okay? Good. One more. Good discussion. Anything else? Well, next week, I'm not sure about next week. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. But if we are meeting next week, it'll just we'll, we'll continue with our series or we might do something special for Christmas. We'll see. Okay, well, let me pray, and then let me pray to kind of close this study time, and then we'll move to our prayer time, where we are going to pray for our international missionaries tonight, and focus on that. Um, Yeah, so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given the gift of the local church to Christians. We thank you, I know, I, I thank you for this church family. We thank you that we don't have to walk the Christian life alone, but we have brothers and sisters, weak and strong, growing and, um, and stagnant and, 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 and different strengths and different gifts. But we thank you that we have a body of Christians who want to obey you and be faithful to exercising the keys of the kingdom as a church family for your glory. So, Father, we pray that you would give us hearts that are excited about your wisdom here. This is your word, and so we want to obey everything we find in the Bible. We don't want to cut corners or be minimalists who just obey the bare minimum. We want to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and not just part of it. So, Father, would you captivate our hearts and minds by your great love that you gave to us in Christ, and even your great love that gives us a local church family to share life together with. We pray that we would be a bright light here in Southeast Los Angeles County and from here to the nations. 
We pray that you bless our prayer time now for our brothers and sisters who might be leaving now, that you would um, protect them on their drive home, and I think some brothers and sisters who might be coming for prayer time, that you protect them as they come here as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does everyone have one of these as we go to prayer time? Did you guys get one of these? John, can you grab the stack of these in the back? There's probably like 15 or 20 of these. Okay. We got lots of them. Make sure we're going to pray for international missionaries this week. We're actually going to start with praying for them in smaller groups. And then we'll move out from here to um, our prayer list. Okay. Well, it's a smaller pamphlet. I'll see you tomorrow. If you need one of these, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you need one of these. John, we need two, three over here, four over here. Ken, oh, Ken has one. You knew you had it somewhere in there, huh? Ken has one. Just over here, these brothers. Al, Gene, why don't you guys move up and Ken move over here. If you could, or at least, you know, um, we're going to partner together for, for prayer. You do have John, that's true. All right. So what we're going to do to start our prayer time is... Brandon, we only have one mic. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, I want to... I'm going to have uh, Al and Jean and, me, and then John. If any of you want to summarize the LASBA meeting, when we get to that, you can, you can uh, summarize it in a few words. But not yet. Hold on. Not yet. But you guys can summarize and give a report to our church about um, the joy of the Lord that is our strength in uh, those things. Okay, but before we do that, um, what we're going to do is we are going to pray for this. So, John and Ken, you guys will pray for day one, just the two of you, right there amongst the two of you. Steve and Marianne, can you please pray for day two? You guys could read it and then pray there in your, just the two of you there. Day three, Al and Jean. Day four will be um, my mom and dad. Brandon, do you have a group? Did I partner you with anyone? Okay. Me, you, and my grandma will be day, what day is that now? Five? Me, you, and my grandma will pray for day five. Okay? Or, um, yeah. Because dad and, I guess dad and mom will, will do that. Okay? Day four. So go ahead and read that just um, amongst your own team. Pray for that and then we'll, we'll, we'll get through the rest of the prayer list. But let's start with praying for our missionaries. Okay? Anyone have questions about which one you're assigned? Everyone knows? Okay. Brian, let's go over here. Okay, now we're going to pray, okay? Day five. Okay. Brandon, can you read out loud? The Old Town Baptist Church had no idea their prayers to take the gospel to an unreached people group would lead them from North Carolina to remote Southeast Asia villages. The church already participated in international missions by going on missions trips and supporting missionaries by giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But knowing billions without hope in Christ is intolerable, they wanted to do more. We have an ongoing commitment to supporting the missions offering, said Mark Harrison, Old Town Missions Pastor. We also have a deep commitment to come alongside our IMB partners and work with them on the ground. As the church prayed, God led them to the key people. Most are Buddhists and have never heard about Jesus. Missionaries helped Harrison learn about the key people and Southeast Asian culture. Since then, Harrison and Old Town members have made multiple trips a year to help take the gospel to the tea people. The tea people have been very isolated for a long time, and it's difficult to get where they are, said Harrison. But they have welcomed us and are in the process, many of them, of beginning to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Pray for the tea people who are coming to faith in Jesus, to stand firm in the face of opposition and persecution. Pray for more churches to partner with missionaries in reaching people groups who have yet to hear the gospel. Okay, I'll pray for the first one. You pray for the second request there. Okay, okay let's pray. 
Father, um, we pray for the T people who are coming to faith in Jesus. Help them to stand firm in the face of opposition and persecution as they hear the call to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. We pray they would. Help them to know that blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you for my sake. For great is your Lord in heaven. Help them to hope in you and to suffer well and use them to spread the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we pray that more churches would, uh, with missionaries in reaching people groups who have yet to hear the gospel. Yes. Just give the churches wisdom and help them to give more money towards missionaries. Give the missionaries wisdom. I pray that they would not waste the money, but that they would uh, put the money to the best use and that they would train indigenous people to make disciples of their own people and that the gospel would just spread like a wildfire around the areas where um, unreached people groups live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we also pray for our church that you'd help, as Brandon prayed for churches, we pray for our church that we would partner with missionaries in reaching people groups who have yet to hear the gospel. I don't know what that looks like here in our church family yet, but um, I know we're trying to get our church healthy first, but we pray that it would not be too long until our church is actually partnering with some unreached people group among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just thought of as I prayed that, as you're here, you could be our church information person. Like, let's say we connect with missionaries on the field. You could be our missions member who connect and like you give reports about that church okay. and about that missionary and oh there's some needs here can we give to this or maybe even organizing a mission trip too so what you do when you call imb say our church might be opening open to partnering with imb missionaries is there anything i can do to help my church connect okay. would you be interested in something like that yeah. that would be a good i mean if you're not i'm not pr- trying to pressure you into that but but that would be, I think that would be really good, you know. All right, I hope you're done soon if you haven't finished. John, everyone has a prayer list, right? Oh, it was inside their bulletin, right? Okay, I mean their, their notes. Okay, it looks like everyone's done praying there. So let's take the microphone here and there. Let's share five or uh, ten blessings. Briefly, starting with John, to share the blessing of the LASBA meeting. And then if Al and Jean want to join in with, again, try to be brief. It was a really long meeting. You don't have to um, uh, share in the same length. But a brief, why do you praise God for the meeting and a brief report to the few members here? Um, I praise God for the meeting because it's kind of like being able to sit in surgery and see just incisions happening. It hurts, but it's for the overall good. So um, I was really encouraged by the amount of progress we were about to make. And really, um, it, while there is conflict, kind of feels like the same way that I imagine that Satan must feel fighting against God right now after Jesus' death, where it's kind of like, you know you're going to lose, and then you're just doing what you can in the meantime to try to go down guns of blazing. Right. So, in that sense, it was an encouragement to me that they can fight all they want and try to counter gospel work. But at the end of the day, God is going to do what he desires to do. And that's what's going to end up happening. So I was really encouraged by that. And also to see like new people that haven't been to meetings before come in and agree with how ridiculous it is. Because after a while, I'm sitting in there and you kind of become desensitized to things. Right. <laughs> and then just to see their shock is also encouraging because it's like, yeah, this is why we're working. It's because it is ridiculous. Right. That's why we're working hard for it. So. Right. Al, Gene, anything to add to it? Um, yes. They are they have to accept the new officers. And the main reason, the main debate there was, 
They don't want to recognize our treasurer because they don't want to show the financial reports, which was said that everyone has access to the financial reports. You can hide it from any of us. Um, but the office, the office was not giving Jeremy Ang any of the finances because of Mark's orders. But after the executive board meeting with the staff there, they saw that they have direct orders from the executive board to show everything. So, yes. Anything else you guys want to add about the meeting? How it encouraged your soul or, or challenged you or? Yeah, yeah. Al, anything, and then Brandon before, just on this. Well, I think I agree with John, but I was just thinking that I think hoping we would have went a little further with the program, with our thoughts, and, and what we need to get done there, which kind of re- ran out of time when it got to the late hour, but hopefully the next time, that, uh, the next meeting, next month, that will get completed. Yeah, yeah. Brandon, any thought or thing you want to share about the meeting? It certainly makes our meetings here seem very mild, right? We hold hands and sing together. Yeah, no, but um, so all that to say, it, was, it, was, it started at 7. It ended about 10.40, 10.30, Yeah, we got home around 11, and it was pretty much shouting the whole time. I mean, it was the, tense, the tension level was at about a 10 almost the whole time. <laughs> but um, praise God, things got done. So keep praying because the, next, the January meeting is the big the big one. Anything else you want to share? Um, just four or five more blessings, just things you're thankful for generally. Steve? Well, my brother had a hip replacement surgery on Friday, and it went real well. Praise and, God. And uh, he went home today, so we're thankful for that. Amen. Answer prayer, okay? Pray for his recovery. Uh, let's assign that to you, Mom. Steve's brother's re- re- recovery from hip surgery. Okay? Other thing to be thankful for? Three or four more? Anyone? Um, Friday night, I have an open mic set for the city group. But uh, at the open mic, we got to close with a song, and I got to give like a quick 20 second snapshot of the gospel. And just kind of like, ah! And then went to the song. So, yeah, I was blessed by that. Okay. Good. Good. I have two, Lord willing, membership in uh, meeting with two couples who are prospective members of our church this week. So we might get four new members next week. We'll see. But that's a blessing. Anything else to thank God for? Going once. Ken? Uh, my son Chris and his wife are still working uh, out their um, problems and and uh, we had a get together with our family at my uh, son's uh, band uh, I don't know, recital or it was their, uh, their Christmas concert at the high school and uh, everyone seemed real cordial and um, my grandson did a great job he had a solo in the concert and uh, so everything is going well so just pray to keep it going that way. Good. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, um, any more? Last chance? Brandon, last one. Oh, Brandon and then Mary. Marianne first, then Brandon. This is just going to be the first part of what I'm going to ask for prayer later. Okay, John, John, pray for this. Or the first part here. This first part is a praise that my son Chris, that we've been praying for, for his elbow and 
and uh, toe. Yeah. Um, he was coming back from a home Bible study on Tuesday night, and um, um, and a car hit their car and knocked off the the um, the mirror and and so forth. Um, and they were totally unin uninjured. Praise later. the Lord. So later during the other prayer part where we ask for prayer. I'll give the rest of the story because there will be several other people to pray for. Okay, well, John's ready to write it. Let's just go ahead and do it now. Okay. If you can can um, have this scenario, there is there are two cars going fast down the street. One is being chased by the other. The first car sideswipes the car that my son is in. And a little bit down the road, um, smashes into another car, the back of the car. Okay. They back up and they take off trying to get away from the, the guy who's chasing them. So they're off. Nobody knows what's happening there. Later they heard that there was gunplay. You know, the, that guy got, okay. got a hold of the first guy out. Don't know about, about that for sure. But so what is at the scene there are these two Christian guys, Chris and and his his friend, checking on the guy in the car that got hit. Okay. Who's in, who's in pretty bad shape. Out in the field that they didn't even know about was a homeless man that found the license plate of the car that hit and ran. Okay. And he brings that to the scene. So there's, and then there are witnesses that had seen the whole thing of the chase and everything. So, so the prayer request is there's a homeless guy to pray for. Okay. Okay. There's the guy in the car who got hit and is injured. We don't know his name. Okay. Um, praise for Chris and his friend. Yeah, that they're safe. And and then the two. That went up the road, one right. being chased by the other, and don't know what right. what that was all about. But God knows. Right. Okay. okay. So we can pray okay. that. Right. So okay, John, you got those? What was that about the case? They just pray for those people who went off in terms of justice, that God would resolve that and yeah. bring glory to His name, salvation to people, and all that. Okay, Brandon, your praise, your thank Thanksgiving. Did you have it still, or you lost it? I lost it. <laughs> oh yeah. I got it. Okay. Yeah, praise God for that. It's been just been really good seeing him grow. Right. And someone from our church told me that you asked them to read the Bible with you regularly, and they were encouraged by that. So praise God. Okay, let's go to prayer requests here. Other ones, um, I'm just going to sign them. If you have a pen, Dad, can you do number one? Pray for the preaching of the word, Christmas message next week. Mom, number two, about the choir and the cantata next week. Number three, John, other teaching times. Gene, if you could pray for number four. That God would add to our membership. Al, if you could pray for number five about our church growing in faithful Baptist biblical practice. Number six, Brandon Miller for the International Missions Christmas offering. Does anyone know how much we took in today? Who's our counters this month? What's you guys? Okay, tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll know. Okay. Um, what number was that? That was number six. Number seven, Ken, if you could pray for our Christmas party, please. I'll pray for number eight. That's the visitor's lunch tomorrow or next Sunday. John, I'm going to have you pray for 9A, B, and C. Steve, if I could have you pray, brother, for number 10 and... Did I not update this? Oh. oh, Number 10 and 11, Steve. And 11. Okay. Uh, Number 12. Does everyone have one? Everyone has one, right? Who wants to pray out loud? 12, I'll have um, uh, my, my mom. Can you pray for 12? Okay. Dad, can you pray for 13A? <coughs> this is our 
deacon's pastor meeting tomorrow, our first one of a in terms of routine meeting. So pray for that wisdom. Um, Brandon, can you pray for 13B? That's Chris, Ken's son. And then I'm sorry that 13C was cut off, but um, Gene, if you could pray for 13C, that's basically children's ministry for volunteers and for our child protection policy to be in effect in 2016. So just for growth in our children's ministry. Shirley Kearse wanted to come to Sunday school this morning, or Cameron, but they're like, who's going to take care of the kids? And I said, well, we don't have volunteers for the Sunday school kids yet, but you know, hopefully we can soon. And Shirley said, I'll be a volunteer. Okay, but we still need more. So let's pray for that. Okay, and then we got Steve's brother. Mom, you got that one, right? Yeah. And then we have... Marianne's son's accident, all the different groups there. John's got that. Okay, any other prayer requests to add to the list? Anything else? Marianne over here. Let's see. Al, can you pray for this? Okay, this afternoon we found out that Steve's sister tripped over the, her dog and her foot is affected. You want to? Address that? We're not sure how bad it is. I haven't talked to her yet, but anyway, okay. she, I guess she's going to have to go in for an MRI. And so we just don't know how bad it is. Her dog ran into her, not over. Okay. Uh, also, I want to ask you, uh, number 10, specifically, pray specifically for the judicial branch? Yes. Only, just only. Uh, We're, every week we do legislative, executive, judicial. You can pray for more if you want. It's just in our rotation. Every three weeks, we pray for each of the branches. How about Pam? Oh, oh yeah. Let's go with that. And then, John, if you have an update on Pam and Aaron, I don't know what's going on, but um, I would like a prayer, continued prayer for my sister-in-law who fell downstairs and had a concussion and um, pretty serious. Injuries, memory loss, and okay. uh, so forth. Um, I would like prayer for myself. Um, Tuesday, I go in to have some laser surgery on my retina um, to see if I can improve what um, damage has been done there in that eye. And um, a job for my son. So... He needs to be, he needs to like have a job like this week because he'll be out of the program in three months and they they want him to have enough money by then to get into a, a place. Okay. Great. John, give us an update on Pam and Aaron and then we'll go to prayer. Yikes. They sent me a text telling me that they're doing a hospital tour. They said, thumbs up emoji. Okay. They said, which is thank you in Korean. And that's it. Oh, you know, people thought that she was in the hospital for an issue. Oh, like, no. Someone, or I think Ken said to her first, he's like, Pam and Aaron in the hospital, John Lee said. And then my mom was like, what happened to Pam and Aaron? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> They're doing a hospital tour. So that's completely okay. Checking out hospitals. No, it's, you know? it's basically you get oriented for the pregnancy. It's a delivery tour. Like, you know, what is it going to be like? What room are you going to be in? So on and so forth. Okay, let's go to prayer. John, you'll start us off over there, brother. And by the way, Marianne's last prayers, I'll, I'll take those. Okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer, starting with John and then Brandon.